0: up, family. I'm back. Sorry, it took me a minute to crack this microphone again, but King Week for a sports parent usually means a competition. And for a basketball team that has developed a resume, that means traveling across country for one game. And my OG sports parents tell me that you cannot miss it, so I was on the road. So that's where I want to start this week, because as I have gotten to experience firsthand now the varsity parent life in high school, there's definitely some things that those who have gone before me or those who I have observed through the years, what they have said has rang absolutely true, and then I have some Nuggets of my own. So let me start with that notion of not missing, if you can, and that is absolutely true. It goes fast. I can't believe that I only have one more year of varsity basketball with the dimpled one, We're already late into the junior season in the blink of an eye. So to the degree that if your child is playing sports, you can make it to all the events, do so now that said again if 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 the if the team is doing really well is getting bited all over the country man i hope i hope everything is right with the finances because it is it is no small endeavor and i, I feel blessed that we are able to do it uh, again cross-country travel for some of these games far travel for others it does add up when you're talking hotels and food and air airfare. So I'm toying about it because these are wonderful experiences for our family. It has been getting to see some places that maybe we were considering for college and we get to see them firsthand in a way that we may not have otherwise, but on the other hand, again, there are families I'm sure who it creates quite the burden to try and support their child and take all these trips. So I hope that schools continue to do all that they can to make sure that these trips are accessible for all. And I do appreciate that the sneaker companies that often put on and sponsor these events do their best to make sure that if they want the teams to play, they foot the bill. So I'll say that moving on to the spectating piece. I have long been a proponent, and now I'm even more double-doubt on it, that if you are at an event and your child is participating, I don't care if it's Little League, I don't care if it's varsity, basketball, baseball, whatever the sport may be, I am a proponent that you, as a parent, sit far away from other parents who have kids on the team. Two reasons for that. One you're going to have your commentary about what's going on in the game. You want to be able to have that without offending anybody else's family. So, for example, when the dimpled one was in little league, I would stand in the outfield. That way, whether I was upset with him for what had happened, walked the batter, struck out, whatever the case may be, I could do that in private and get over it. If I wanted to express frustration over an error that was made by some other young kid, I could say what I needed to say and get over it without offending that kid's parent. Fast forward to to this basketball life that I'm now immersed in, nothing worse than when your kid has the opportunity to win the game and you are now dying with every second, every dribble. You don't want to have to deal with that around other parents. So that if your kid comes up short, now they're looking at you. And they'll likely try to do their best to be comforting and understanding. But you know, you already know that deep down, they want to say something about something else about how your child costs the team the game. So you can eliminate that and just sit far apart so that then the game ends. Everybody has a chance to get their faces together or everybody just goes their separate ways and nobody has to come together. It allows for some maintenance of relationships, some proper boundaries. So yes, one more time, if your parent, sit far away from other parents on the team. Let everybody have their space. I swear it'll make things more peaceful. So that is my my sports parent nugget. For now, it has been Interesting this season to see our team get off to a very hot start. And then this week have two gut punch losses. But that is the breaks. So we will see how the mighty Wolverines recover in these final weeks leading to the playoffs. Up next, I want to switch gears. I want to talk about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, whose holiday we celebrated at the top of the week. And some things that I'm noticing as that celebration comes around annually and how we might approach it a little differently. Take a break.
1: Taking notes with Dr. John Carroll is powered by Bixie Pots, makers of high quality shea butter that keeps the body moisturized for the whole day. Visit bixiepots.com today. Just take notes, just take notes.
0: All right, so I knew I had to get back on the microphone this week because we celebrate one of the great humans in American history in Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King this week, whose holiday has been federalized for over 30 years now. But what has been interesting to me in the last couple of years in particular is that in the world of social media, when the King holiday comes around, you have discussions that not only look at his legacy and honor what it is that he stood for and his mission and his uh, dedication to civil rights and justice among other things, but you have the efforts to map his words, his actions at the time that he was alive into the 60s, the late 60s, onto today's social and political landscape. So most recently in the 2024 version of the King holiday, you had discussions about What would Dr. King think about, say about, where would he come down on the conflict between Israel and Hamas? And the attack on Israel by Hamas and the kidnapping of Israeli citizens. What would Dr. King think about the state of things in Gaza as Israel has responded. All of this is is has been ripe for discussion. And for me, it's an interesting use of time because we have some words about what King thought about Israel and Palestine, but those are in a late 1950s to early 1960s construct. And in 2024, things are vastly different. So for me, while it may be an invigorating academic exercise to look back and try and extrapolate themes and see how things have changed and compare and contrast, ultimately, I think in the pragmatics of it and the action it's not worth the time spent. And having these arguments over social media where so little room is left for context and nuance and real conversation, I ultimately think that the conversation is more divisive. I do appreciate the efforts of people like my brother, fraternal brother, my Philly brother, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill, in really trying to shed light and render the record straight by looking at King's documents and putting the history straight. There's also an article in Axios, if you want to have something you know, a little more down the middle, by Russell Contreras, who talks about how King's words would resonate on both sides of the Israel-Palestine conflict. But to me, those discussions, that work doesn't necessarily bring us closer to a solution. And for me, when I think about the teaching of King, I would hope that in schools, educators would continue to look at the ways that the King legacy can be connected to what is current to move us forward, not solely so that we can continue to deify, and keep King's legacy pristine or use King as the litmus test for what is good and proper when it comes to justice because Dr. King was many things, he was not perfect, none of us are. So to try and paint him as the ideal leader, the top of the shelf leader in all things is also to me misguided. So I wanna end this bit some examples of how I might approach King if I was in the classroom in different levels. I don't want to get too deep into the woods, but just some, some basic ideas. So for example, in the elementary level, I would continue to think about and teach King and his journey through the lens of how he viewed Humanity At the elementary level, you're helping kids understand who they are as people. You can use examples like the bus boycott in Montgomery to help children understand that there were laws in this country that prevented people from being fully human in that they did not have the rights that others had. And you can go from there to help them understand how and why King moved in the way that he did and help make clear for children that in the way that they behave in the world with one another, they should always keep forefront the idea that we are all human. Moving on to middle school. I was in a middle school classroom. For me, it would be a very worthwhile exercise to look at how King marshaled and was involved in organization and how he was part of this movement that worked with all kinds of communities across generations from students to the elderly. King was part of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, but He also worked with the NAACP, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, Congress of Racial Equality. How did he work amongst all these groups as a leader among leaders to advance his mission and get results? So for me, that would be middle school. And then finally, moving on to upper school, high school, where you can get a little bit more nuanced in your conversation, detailed in your conversation, I would continue to think about how King framed and attacked inequality. So that would be studying things like the housing movement that King had where he lived in an apartment in Chicago protesting housing discrimination or the Poor People's Campaign where he was walking with trash workers in Memphis looking to get a decent wage. Because again, as students are coming to the later years of high school and going off to college, they are much more able to form, not only form opinions, but take those opinions and move them into action. And for me, it is so important that in these times, we help students, especially in America, understand If they are part of a global citizenry. So those are just some things that I think about when I think about the teaching of King. These are the things that I try to impress upon, have young people of all ages understand when I come into contact with them, because it is more than just The idea that he was a magnificent and transcendent orator who was able to put words together and make people feel what he was saying. He is much more than I have a dream. He was a complicated man who was involved in some of the greatest work for justice in this country, and that ultimately cost him his life because his commitment to that justice meant that there were those who were out to murder him, and they did. So, some notes on King. We're gonna take another break, come back and talk about, speaking of King, the movement to continue eliminating DEI offices, campus by campus in this country.
1: The Dean's office and the honor roll are brought to you by The Honeybody Collection for quality personal moisturizing products from body wash to beard oil. Visit the honeybodycollection.com today. Just notes.
0: Just notes. Just notes. Among the many reasons that I continue to be frustrated and just downright angry at the growing number of states that are banning DEI offices first at the university level and then on many school board levels is that when you eliminate these offices, you are taking away the ability for a university, a school district, a school to comprehensively address the way that a school population is constructed today and all of the issues and unique situations that come to the table. And so, specifically, what got me thinking about that and triggered about. The Elimination of These Offices and Initiatives This Week is an article I read by Natasha Alford in The Griot. And this Alford talks about the growing generation of black men who are entering the teaching field. So, of course, as a black man in the teaching field, I said, word, and I checked it out. And so I wanted to go over it because for me, I'm curious how in this time where there's a push in some corners of the country to eliminate programs that would continue to make sure that teaching bodies and the general teaching population is reflective of the student population? How is it that we are seeing this growing number of Black males entering the field in particular? And so a couple of takeaways from the article, because I think it's instructive for how we will have to move forward in a world that in the short term, perhaps, hopefully, there will be less dedicated offices for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so the first takeaway is that there continue to be, and this is something that I certainly remember from my grad school work, is that there continue to be creative programs that are offering alternative pipelines for teachers to enter the field. It is no longer just about going to the big university teacher ed program you know, and pursuing teaching via the masters and that more traditional route. There continue to be programs that develop at the local level that perhaps are in partnership with a university, but allow for people to enter the program via service hours, less coursework, and having mentor teachers that will help people not only enter the profession, but stay in the profession longer. I think this is very important because this opens the tent of people who even have access to the profession. One of the things that Ms. Alford starts off her article with is the idea that the black male teacher population in the last few years has dipped from 2%, which was already a paltry number, to 1.3%. And this is at a time when Teacher vacancies, particularly in high school, are at an all time high. So I'm glad to see that programs, cohort programs, call me Mr., things like that. I want to teach their existing and thriving and finding black men to enter the profession the other thing that was a good takeaway was the growing body of research so much of education is fueled by what the research says so i liked seeing what scholars amber john marie noel s anderson and harun karim wrote in their article minding the gap cultivating black male teachers in a time of crisis in urban schools Such a scholarly article, title almost as long as the paper, but I digress. Talking about the idea that to have black males in the school body is not just about having them for their mere presence as role models and mentors, but to also highlight their commitment to pedagogy and practice. It is not just about, and I certainly experienced this in my career, having a black male in the school so that you have some modicum of control over students via some heightened masculine presence. so to 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 not only have but maintain black men in school is about valuing their practice and their contributions to the craft just as much as you might value the contribution to maintaining behavioral norms. So that was a good takeaway, the growing body of research that shows the value and the dedication black male teachers have to the craft beyond just being coaches and deans of discipline, and more secondary roles in the school outside of the classroom. The final thing that I would put on the table as far as having a a continually growing black male population in the classroom is the idea that you have to continue to invest in and raise the pay scale when it comes to teachers. The article talks about how, when you bring the notion of teaching as a profession to you know, many high achievers, it is almost immediately cast aside because folks know there's not a whole lot of money in teaching. If you're a black man, Certainly in my generation, and I think that continues in this time, you're taught to believe and understand that as you grow and mature and start a family, you are to either be the sole provider or contribute significantly to the household. That becomes very difficult on a teacher's salary alone. In many cases, teacher salary is not even a living wage by itself, that is certainly an issue here in California. So just some takeaways. And again, to bring it back to the beginning, these are all things that become that much more difficult to promote and have flourish when you have no dedicated part of your school administration that is looking out And thinking about ways to make this happen. To eliminate DEI offices and be replaced by what? Who knows? In many cases, nothing. Certainly in the legislation that's been passed in Texas and Florida means that you go back to leaving notions and hiring of teachers in the hands of a very small cohort who bring with them their own ideas and biases about who should be in the classroom, and with no one to have a check on that or hold those people accountable and and expand their horizons, I will not be surprised if despite these programs meant to bring a more diverse teacher population to the table that it doesn't scale up in areas that aren't already rather diverse. So, yet another reminder of why I need to continue to fight the good fight when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion in schools and show why there is great value to it. So reading an article like Ms. Offer's is one of those calls to me that perhaps I need to make my own contributions to the scholarship given my experience and time. We shall see down the road. Let's take one last break and then we'll get into who needs to come to the Dean's office and the honor roll for this week. Just take notes, just take notes. dean's office this week, I would love to be able to speak with both John Mosley and the board president of Lincoln University in Missouri, also known as LUMO, historically black college about the, the, the sudden and tragic death by suicide of Dr. Antoinette Bonnie, as she was known, Candia Bailey who was hired to work at her alma mater in May of 2023. And by January 3rd, had received a termination letter saying that she had been insubordinate. But prior to that, she had come to President Mosley to express her concerns about the bullying, the aggression that she had endured while being employed. And it appears in reading about this story that President Mosley in particular was indifferent to the severity of what Dr. Candia Bailey was experiencing, denying her family leave time, and now ultimately the scholar has gone and transitioned taking her own life. These are the types of failures of leadership that really sting. And here we have a beautiful black woman gone too soon. So if I were in conversation, it would be the idea that Mr. Mosley A shouldn't be on paid leave as he currently is, but B, how he will not be returning to Lincoln University to leave that proud institution. That's it, that's all. Turning now to the honor roll, I'm just going to give a shout out and salute to the whole state of Michigan. Michigan is winning right now, particularly in the world of sports. University of Michigan, go blue, got over the hump and won the college football national championship. First time in many years looks like it was the the spark the trigger perhaps to bring fab five back together saw pictures on the on the internets all five of the members together at a michigan basketball game for the first time in ever if you follow them at all you know that two of the key figures jalen rose chris weber Their relationship had been strained for many years. And to see them back together as a child of the 90s who was there for the baggy shorts, the black socks, black Charles Barkley's, and the the harachis that they wore. It was good to see them back together. And then moving on to football, the Detroit Lions, the embattled Detroit Lions stand one win away from the Super Bowl. Under the direction, head coach Dan Campbell, Jared Goff, who was here in L.A., and was sent to Detroit. Almost as an afterthought, had to watch as the Rams went on in the water Super Bowl without him after he had been to the Super Bowl with the Rams. And now he stands one. One win away from getting back there with a franchise that is long-awaited success. I hope it brings great economic gain to the city. So salute to Detroit, Ann Arbor, and the whole state of Michigan. That's all for me this week. It was good to get back in the saddle and be with you. Promise you, if and when I do take a A break, it is only because life, or say particularly the sports life, has gotten in the way. But I enjoy this time on the mic sharing, and I appreciate those who tune in and have offered kind words. So until next week, take care and be safe.
1: The views expressed by John Carroll in the preceding podcast are solely that of the author, And do not necessarily reflect the views of his employers, companies, or other associated parties.